You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Hello. Today we are going to be talking ghosting and boundaries and porn literacy and much more with the lovely Justine Angfonte. Are, are you good at boundaries? No, I'm not good at all at boundaries. Really? Are, do you think you're good at boundaries? No, I know I'm terrible, but I think you're much better than me. Like, I guess next to a F student like me, if you're a C, that, yeah. that looks pretty good. You look like a... going to say the bar is low. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got a low bar. I mean, in some ways and with some people, I'm getting mm. better. But I find that if I've if I've been poor at setting boundaries for a while, it's hard for me to start them. Whereas in newer relationships, I can be a bit better. So we're, we're going to have to get into it with Justine. But before she joins us, I want to let you know about an online event I have coming up with Titra by Silken. So this is on October 27th. So this coming Wednesday at 8 p.m. I'm going to be talking sexual health and pleasure and taking all of your sexual health questions live on Facebook. So if you want your questions answered, because I know some people can't get their questions answered here because I'm slow. Please join and tune in over on Titra's Facebook, and I'll have the links in the show notes. And do check out Titra in the meantime. I've been working with them. They are an at-home device that is designed to reduce urinary incontinence, to improve bladder control, to promote natural lubrication and increase sensation and pleasure. And I I was speaking to a woman the other day uh, when I was doing some of my training. She was talking about the fact that she's been using it, using the Titra now for just a few months at home, and she just uses it while she's reading. So it's an insertive device. And she says that it's already stopped the leaks while she's playing tennis. So she's like, the measure for me is how I am on the tennis court. And uh, it's also been shown the Titra to improve sexual response. What it does is it uses radio frequency energy to increase collagen and and elastin fibers. And I've learned a lot about it from my friend, Dr. Jessica Shepard, who's an OBGYN. And if you watch my show on TSC and CDTV, you know we've featured it as well. Uh, And if you want to learn more, you can learn more at titra.ca. It's T-I-G-H-T-R-A dot C-A. All right. (laughs) Let's talk boundaries. Lord knows I need this conversation in my life. Joining us now is Justine Angfonte, an intersectional sex educator based in New York City. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Jess and Brandon. All right. I have to ask, how did you get into sex education? The Cliff Notes version of that is I started off as a math teacher in an eighth grade class in Houston, Texas. And I had 24 students, two of them who were already parents and two of them that were pregnant at the time. And these were... 14 to 16 year olds. So I saw a direct connection to um, how health can impact learning and academic achievement and wanted to do something about health education in America and led me to a master's in education, a master's in public health and doing work in specifically sex ed. All right. It's uh, basically my story about South of the Border. Like I was the same thing. It was was a high school teacher thing. So uh, no surprise, we've kind of found ourselves on a, on a similar path. Now you talk a lot about porn literacy with young people, with parents. First of all, what is porn literacy and why is it so important today? Porn literacy is understanding that what we are watching on the screen is not meant to be an instruction manual for how to understand ourselves and how to connect with other people. It is an entertainment industry. It is meant to be appreciated for the wildly unrealistic fantasy that it is, but not be our tool to learn how to 
you know, behave with other people or what to make sense of our bodies. So it's my hope that young people that get porn literacy lessons in school are reminded of the fact that it's totally normal and, and common to be curious about your bodies, but there are medically accurate and unbiased and safe places to actually get the information as to how to understand it. And it's not always through an entertainment industry like mainstream porn. Absolutely. You know, here's a question I get from parents oftentimes. So their kids are watching porn or their teenagers are watching porn. They've taken your courses. They've kind of read the articles. They don't want to shame young people. They mm -hmm. also want to have conversations about what it means to be literate, about what's missing from porn. Yeah. And they know that, I don't know, their 16, 17 year old likes to use porn. Like it's a tool that they use but porn is intended for people over 18. What do they do? Like, how do you recommend a parent deals with that? Because if you just tell your 16 year old, you are not allowed to watch porn, that is not for you. <laughs> we know what the result is going to be. Yeah. Well, my rec is that they don't wait for their first time to have a conversation about sex to be when they've already been watching porn for probably years at that point. So waiting until 16, 17 is fairly late. It's not too late, but I mean, you're probably already five years too late. They've been doing it. And so it's important that parents center their conversations at any age about sex on safety, fulfillment, and pleasure. I say this time and time and again, that we want our kids to be safe emotionally and physically. We want them to feel fulfilled in their identity and who they are and an embrace of who they are and surround themselves with people who affirm their identities. And we want them to experience fun, enjoyment, and pleasure. So that can look like a lot of things. That does not mean it has to entail intercourse. It doesn't mean that it entails abstinence. It's about really having a self-mastery as to what feels right for your body. And not just one of those things, but all three. So I would apply the same counsel when it comes to porn. Is porn for you in service of your safety, of your fulfillment, and of your pleasure. And they're quick to check off the box for the last one because they are literally probably getting off and having the dopamine rushes to prove that. But are they actually learning examples of how to practice and engage in sex in safe ways? Are they feeling good about how their body type or their race is being represented? And what is you know it telling them about the people they are watching and what they make sense of people who share the same identities in the real world, or are they going to start treating them in the same way that they're being depicted on camera? And so really just centering their messaging on those three things and having young people evaluate for themselves, is this safe? Is this fulfilling to me? And is this something that provides me pleasure? And all three need to be there in order for them to, I think, live better sexual and intimate lives. You know, I, I like those three layers. And I think about parents really being into the safety part, but being uncomfortable yeah. with the fulfillment and the pleasure part. How do we get parents over that hump? Because when you talk about porn literacy, I know that you're working with young people, but as adults, we need porn literacy too, right? In the absence of comprehensive totally. sex education, like that we missed out on, we know that porn is our first line of expectation and education and how yeah. problematic that can be. So how do, how do parents even embrace that perspective that, you know, you want your young person, the person in your life to have fulfilling relationships, pleasurable sex lives. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of parents haven't yet unlearned a lot of the things they've been socialized to believe. And a lot of them haven't healed from their own 
sexual traumas and experiences. And so they are, there's a lot of anxiety in wanting to even talk about these things, let alone think about their child's pleasure. And so I think getting them to first reflect on their first experience with sexuality, whether it be a word they learned, whether it be a behavior they experienced, a person that they encountered, whatever it is that told them, oh, I am supposedly a sexual being. Was it a positive or a negative experience for them? Most of them are going to say negative or confused or insecure or something, you know, with a negative connotation to it. Now, if that's the case, which it is for most parents, is that an experience you would want for your child? Because there's a lot of parents that say, I'm a sex positive parent or I want to be, but I just don't think they're ready for this stuff yet. And it's more that they're not ready for this stuff yet to talk to their kid about. And so if you don't want your child to have a similar negative experience to sexuality, then that means we have to be proactive. Just because you're talking about this stuff, it doesn't mean that they're you know, going to have sex tomorrow. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden these things are going to actually occur. It's actually going to increase their levels of scrutiny on the relationships that they're involved in because they have a growing self-mastery of themselves. And that is allowing them to be protective. It's allowing them to really discern, you know, what types of behaviors they're ready for. And if they're about to engage, they knew, they know the consequences, they know what to do to protect themselves. So it actually delays sexual initiation, if that's what they're scared of, and as the studies show, and when they do engage sexually, they're more prepared to be safe, which is ultimately what a lot of parents want. But wouldn't we want them to actually feel affirmed in their own body and also enjoy it because they're doing it safely and in a way that's in service of their well-being? Right. And when pleasure is at the forefront, we start to tackle all these other issues around consent, around communication. Like when pleasure is really what we hold in a high regard, yes, of course, safety and also fulfillment. I really appreciate that layer too. Uh, That's such a useful tool, I think, to reflect upon your first experience. How did it feel? How did it feel in your body? How did you feel the next day? And what would you do differently? What would you want differently? And so I imagine you do that exercise with parents and it can be quite powerful. And that's something that I think listeners can can try right now, especially if they're considering what it means to be a sex positive parent, especially if they intend and really want to support their, their child or the young person in their life or their teen, but are struggling. So that, that is so helpful. Now, I also want to talk to you about your ghostwriting account, your ghostwriting service. So I'm really excited for this. I don't know if you have a chance to maybe pull up that account for yourself, because I was going to read out some of your notes, but it'd be much better in in your voice. But Justine has a ghostwriting account on Instagram called goodbyes. So it is underscore good dot buys underscore. And so what you do via this account is create customized boundary scripts for life, like for your dating life, but also for friendships, for family, for romantic partnerships, for business partnerships. And folks can DM you scenarios, like things that they're stuck with, and you help them come up with, here's what you can say. And you know, I I already knew you had this. I follow the account. I'm engaged with the account. I really appreciate it. But now I'm thinking I need your help. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking about uh, one that you Is that why we're doing this episode? (laughs) one-on-one. Just free therapy, <laughs> free education <laughs> all the time. I actually could really use it in business. It's it's really, really helpful. So you had one from a person, and this is probably a pseudonym, but Aparna, and there, or no, it was to a friend named Aparna. So this sounds like to me, it was a friend 
whose friend is in a new relationship with someone named Rudy. And maybe this friend, Aparna, is always bringing Rudy when they meet up with the, the person who's writing to you. And they're feeling like a little bit frustrated that, hey, we used to be friends, but now it's always the threesome of us. Sometimes I just want to see you alone. And when I read this, I thought about an old relationship in my life. So some friends who our friend group kind of fell apart because one friend maybe wasn't driving with the other friend's new partner. And I don't even know how it went down. I feel like I kind of just removed myself from the situation. But I remember that it was sort of stressful. And we were probably, I don't know if we were in our 20s, probably at the time, but we maybe didn't have the language to say, hey, I'd really like to see you alone. And so you've given us some language. Would you mind did I describe that situation properly? Yeah, I mean, I can summarize a little bit more. So Better. the DMer, <laughs> the DMer came to me and said, you know, I really just want to start hanging out with my one friend who I used to be close with. And then the pandemic happened. So there was a big pause, of course. But when we were able to reunite, she would always have her boyfriend with her. And I have no problem with him. He's fine. But I wish I could spend time with her one on one. So I don't know how to do that without offending her please help friendly ghostwriter. <laughs> and so this is what I came up with. Hey, Aparna, I'm so happy for you and Rudy. It was nice to see you after sheltering in place for so long and to meet him during these last couple of reunions we've had. You two are really great together. Since we haven't gotten to spend much one-on-one -on -one time together though, I haven't gotten to share my more personal updates with you and want to fill you in. Can we set up a time soon for the two of us? I think it's great. If I had sound effects, I'd have applause. <laughs> I love it. But, so this is so helpful. So I want to just go through more of them because sure. they're so good. So you have another one, which is, and I want to get to ghosting, obviously, because this is, yeah. you know, when people think about ghosting, they think about dating, but we also ghost friends. We also ghost, um, we, we ghost in business. Like think about when I used to manage a bar. A uh, long, long time ago, I remember that, you know, you'd hire someone and then I guess they changed their mind and they just wouldn't show up for their first ship. And it's not that they were being, you know, crappy people. I think they just didn't have the language to say, hey, Jess, I found something better than your crappy nightclub that you run. Yeah. <laughs> or I, I have to admit, I ghosted someone when I was about 18. I had just broken up with my first boyfriend and I was working in a bar and this customer, a very regular customer asked me out. And honestly, um, I didn't know if I really wanted to go out with him. And this kind of goes back to another issue where I don't always know what I want. And this is also 20 odd years ago, but I remember going out with him a couple of times and like, he was nice enough, but there wasn't something, something there. And then I just didn't return his phone calls because I quit that bar. <laughs> you, changed, uh, you changed places of employment. No, I didn't. I didn't quit the bar to avoid him. I just happened to also quit that bar. And yeah, I, uh, I never, I, I still feel badly that I never said to him, like, I'm just not interested in seeing you anymore. So we, and so I've, I've, you know, so many years later, I'm like, yeah, I've ghosted someone. That's not cool. And I should definitely do better. All right. So we've got other boundary setting advice here. Let's go to, hmm. Oh, how about Mel? So this is the sixth one on your feed right now. Second row, far yep. right. So mm -hmm. I read this as this person needs some space from Mel, but maybe you can give us better context. I won't try and explain it this time. <laughs> yeah, this one got some uh, few critiques, which is, you know, not uncommon. And I welcome feedback, but it's hard because people don't know what the request 
specifically is. And I really try to match like the tone of what my requester is asking. We're, you're not always going to agree with somebody else's boundary. So then automatically, you know, some keyboard warriors will want to share their opinion about that when it's just like, here's a thought then don't use this boundary. Clearly it doesn't apply to you, but it certainly applies to other people. And that it's a template. It's not meant to like, you can only use this verbatim. Like I'm here to provide you with a crutch to lean on, to edit from and to revise as you see fit, but at least get the ball rolling. Otherwise you'd normally just ghost altogether. And so this one was a really complicated, long request from a follower who had encountered Mel, all the names are also always just made up, who has been going through a lot of stuff um, with health, but just in general, usually has a very like one way street type of relationship. And it started to take a toll on my follower, but they felt guilty in leaving because Mel is clearly going through health issues. So it never feels like the right time to pull away and set a boundary. Otherwise, Mel's going to be left, you know, maybe alone. And so that obligation was very real. And it felt hard to draw a line with someone who was, you know, clearly dealing with something, but also was aware that Mel has other people to go to for support, but continually uses my follower for the support without ever reciprocating it, even pre-health issues. And so it was just very much a, a take, take, take type of relationship and now just amplified because of the health issues. And this was really taking a toll to the point that cumulatively my follower just couldn't take it anymore and needed to draw a line, even though Mel is going through a lot of stuff. Basically, you know, huge, like cry for help. What do I do? Go Strider because this is seems so delicate, but I really need to prioritize my own well-being and it's starting to infringe on that. So, I mean, I feel for that. That's super complicated. You feel, you know, you don't want to break up on someone on Valentine's day. You don't want to break up on someone on their birthday, or you already know their mom is sick. And so they're stressed out. So you'll break up with them later. Right. I get why people will make those accommodations. I also get why people need to take care of themselves too, right? And so this is a really hard thing that many people be like, oh my God, this person's so mean. And then therefore what? You just keep prioritizing someone else's well-being over yours, especially when you know that this person lives in a, an environment that has a village that can take care of them. Why are they leaning on this one other person? So here is my template. Hey Mel, I know this year has been a lot for you with all the health issues you've been dealing with. I care about you and I'm glad to have been able to show up for you during this hard time. I really struggle to say no to my friends when they need help, but I also need to make sure that I'm holding healthy boundaries for myself by maintaining contact with friends who reciprocate my support so that I am also cared for. Though you will hear from me less, I will be thinking about you this week. Excellent. That's a hard one. I mean, I've been in that I mean, not that situation, but a situation where it feels like a friend is always unloading on you mm -hmm. and you're really only talking about their issues. And then you can't even really, this is, I'm thinking of a friendship from also a long, long, long time ago. You almost can't interject in a conversation because you're talking about something that is so serious. Like it is maybe real trauma or real struggles and you do want to be supportive. And at the end of a lunch or a dinner, it feels like a therapy session. Right. 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 And uh, I'm sure the therapist would run into this all the time. I find that one super helpful. I want to, I want to do a few more from here. So you have one from Aiden in the third row in the middle, 
And it sounds like Aiden is dating this person, but is maybe not quite single. Uh, can you give us some context on that one? Do you remember the DMer? Yeah, let me hold on. Let me re refresh my memory here. Yeah, I think this request was that they weren't out of their other relationship yet. And oh, okay, I'm remembering it now. So this follower actually sent me the screenshots from their correspondence with Aiden. And I remember now I was so triggered by it because I did not agree with the boundary they wanted to send. And I just was trying to tell her, girl, you need to just run, like just drop this altogether. Because, and so this was kind of like me meeting her in the middle here, because I really felt like based on the correspondence, like this guy is trash, like just needs to, you just need to not be a part of this at all. It was clear that he was stringing her along and wanting to, you know, be in this, to entertain this new date, but not fully say goodbye to the other one because he kind of wanted to keep her as like a safety net in case the other one fell through without being transparent about that. And so, you know, and she was kind of like, hey, over here, you forgot about me. Like you haven't replied in a while kind of thing, you know, whatever. So then my assistance with this was more of like a, I think you need to move on away from Aiden. And if you are really comfortable in him coming back in your life, I can try to figure out a way to say that, but I don't want you to communicate to him, okay, I'll be here waiting for you in case that fails. That seems thirsty and unnecessary and not helpful to you and your, you know, own progress and, and well-being. So this is the, uh, the, the middle ground that I found for, uh, for the follower. Hey, Aiden, I'm only comfortable with you reaching out to me in the event that you are completely single. No one wants to be strung along. And I feel like that's the position I'm in. I need to spend my time and effort on people who choose me. Take care. Excellent. All right. Now you also have a number on here for setting boundaries with parents. So mm. maybe parents who are dropping by unannounced, maybe parents who are interfering in your finances, maybe parents who are interfering in how you raise your kids. So I really recommend people go check out your friendly ghostwriter on Instagram. Again, it's underscore good dot buys underscore. And of course, we'll leave that in the notes. And if it's easier, you can find Justine's IG and go from there. And her yeah. IG is I'm Justine AF. Uh, so I am Justine AF. So you can find goodbyes from there. Uh, but definitely they'll be in the show notes. Now, if we go back to, you know, ghosting, more specifically in dating. Tell me why, why do you think people ghost? Like, why do we even struggle to set boundaries in the first place? Well, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, Jess, about the pleasure layer. When we talk about safety, fulfillment, and pleasure, what I mean by pleasure is not just like the feeling good or having an orgasm or just having fun, but it's also recognizing that you are deserving of that. And you can demand that. And you can expect that from people to provide you with that. And when you recognize you're deserving of pleasure, it means that you can comfortably say no to things that don't provide you with pleasure, whether that be in a professional setting, a personal setting, a social setting, you're like, I don't actually want to go to brunch with her this weekend. So why am I saying yes? Well, because she asked, so what? then you say, no, you don't want to go to brunch. If it's not going to be fun for you, why are you giving into this? Oh, well, because you feel obligated. You feel guilty. You feel like you can't say no. You feel like you don't know how to say no. And so the last one is very much where I come in and be like, let me teach you how to say no in a way that's compassionate and assertive. But if we think about all those reasons we say yes to something we actually don't want to do, but do so anyway, this is 
the heart of why we don't live in a consensual culture. This is the same, it's similar to why people say yes to sex if they actually don't wanna have sex. And that's why the no means no, why yes is not enough. We need an engaged, freely given, enthusiastic yes and exercise emotional intelligence to really decipher, is this person's entire body wanting to do me? Or do they feel obligated, guilty, or don't know how to say no, so they do it anyway? And so part of my work in consent education has not only, you know, been something I've been doing with young people and with adults, but I've implemented in the wild as a dater in New York City and realized that when I am, you know, asserting my boundaries around what I'm comfortable with on a date, I'm seeing their true colors come out. I mean, given the patriarchy that we are in, you know, I really understand a straight man better when he's told no to something because how he reacts says a lot to me. I'm not going to learn a lot if I praise him. I'm going to learn a lot if he is told no and I see his reaction to a no. They're not used to being told no. I mean, look at like the straight white men who are, you know, so offended by the mandates to wear a fucking mask, right? I mean, they're like, what? You're telling me I know to my freedom of being able to breathe, right? And so they just react so poorly. And so anyways, that was a huge tangent. When I started to implement like boundaries in my own dating life, I realized, wow, this makes sense because I'm comfortable talking about consent or implementing it in my life because I teach it. But a lot of my friends will come to me saying like, I don't really like this guy, but I don't know, like there's nothing wrong with him, but I feel bad. So I guess I'll just go on a third date. And I'm like, this sounds like a horrible situation and a waste of time. Why don't you just tell him you're not interested? Like, because I don't want to be mean. That's like the number one reason. Same thing when I ask my students, like, why, what's, what's so scary about consent? I don't want to ruin the moment. So it's the same vibe of like, I don't want to be this buzzkill. I want to only put good vibes out there. I'm like, you can still put good vibes and set boundaries and see that this person maybe a good platonic relationship and not a good romantic or a good sexual relationship, you know, or this is someone that you like, you know, working on a team project with, but you don't want to get do happy hour with that's okay. Mm. Right. We want to just enjoy people's company and recognize that pleasure can mean a lot of different things, but we can't expect one person just because we hang out with them in one capacity that we want to spend all our time with them. So using that pleasure, you know, lens, includes you're deserving of setting boundaries. That means that you're preserving energy and protecting your energy for people that deserve it back, but also that people uh, with people who are reciprocating, um, you know, and respecting your time and providing you with such benefit. And so I think people struggle and lean on ghosting because they don't want to ruin the moment. They don't want to be mean, but oftentimes they just feel like it's awkward and it's easier to just not say anything. And I get it. I get it. I have the temptation to do that often as well. But I also know that when I've been ghosted, I feel like it would have been nice to know why, or I just put some kind of closure tied up in a nice ribbon before just like saying, you know, wishing you well, just sending my best kind of thing. But just all of a sudden dropping off, you know, many people, if they're, you know, not feeling like they're on the same page or wondering like, oh, well, maybe their phone died. Well, you know, maybe they lost their phone. Uh, they they want to make up all these things. And then you're kind of left with this uncertainty. And for a lot of people, that's a lot of anxiety. So why not just say, hey, 
it was nice to get dinner with you and finally meet you in person. I just don't think that we have enough chemistry to keep this going. And there's like many iterations of what that can look like in the compliment sandwich category that I have, or in the, you know, just non-communicator, like, look, I'm a stickler for my time. And I just feel like you don't, you didn't respect it. And that's not something I'm looking for in a partner, or this is very different information than what you pitched yourself to be when we were texting. So you know, I'm going to step away from this and hope you find someone that aligns with, you know, who you are or what you do or whatever it is. And so I feel like that's fine. You can be compassionate while being assertive, but I think people believe that there's only one way you can be. And if you're setting a boundary, you're automatically deemed as mean. So this is something that is very much struggle for those who have been socialized through that feminine lens where you're not supposed to hurt people's feelings. You need to be an accommodator. You need to be a caregiver. And many femmes will not want to set boundaries because they haven't been socialized, see that as acceptable. So a lot of my followers and a lot of my requests come from women who are just struggling to set a boundary because they haven't really been taught that that can be something that's healthy. You know, uh, this is all so helpful and all of those scripts you're offering, I think are really helpful. I know that definitely I was raised to be an accommodator. I really struggle with people pleasing. Um, I don't think I have trouble as much in intimate relationships or I don't know that I'd have trouble in dating as much because those seem very clear cut to me, but I really struggle to say no to people more generally. And you know, Brendan, I do so much stuff I don't want to do. So like we were, we started here talking about ghosting but it really, and it aligns with this kind of inability to set a boundary or communicate a boundary. And I do think that, you know, age and gender and race and other elements of our identity, like when we're desperate to fit in or trying to like be liked, or I don't know where we feel our reputation has to be 100% positive all around, that really, that can be a struggle. So I'm trying to think if I can give you an example of, of something that I struggle with, and maybe you can help me with a script. Mine would be, for example, uh, you know, a lot of people will request like calls with me or just to chat. Sometimes they'll pressure me. Like I do find a lot of folks. So a lot of folks in our field are super respectful of your time. And a lot of folks also feel entitled. That first group <laughs> tends to be a very different demographic than the second group. And I've had people message me. So like, for example, and it always is white women, usually they're older than me. And they'll be like, oh, I want to talk to you about this or that because they've discovered their sexuality and they want to go into the field and they want to call with me. And I'm not a call person. Like I don't like talking on the phone with anyone. I don't like, I don't even like Zoom calls. I will text, but also I don't want to text with a gazillion strangers, right? And then they'll, when if I say like, send me your questions and I'll see what I can do. So what I really want to say is no, I don't know you. I'm not interested in this, but yeah. I will always kind of give a, an alternative like, oh, I don't have time for a call. I'm traveling. But if you send me your questions via email, I'll do my best to get back to you. And then mm -hmm. sometimes they'll send me their questions and there's a gazillion. And I've answered these questions already on my blog, in my podcast, in an FAQ section for people who want to become sexologists. <laughs> like, And then other times they'll kind of push back and say like, listen, this is about women helping women. They'll kind of pull that card. Like I'm being anti-feminist because I won't get on the phone with some person that I don't know. And I don't know shows any respect for me. And, and I've honestly, I've hopped on phone calls and you've watched me and I'm very bad at getting off of phone calls, which is why I don't like phone calls. I can start a conversation with anyone, but I don't know how to end one. And Brennan will watch me on a call 
for like an hour, almost like not rolling my eyes, but just being like, this person's unloading on me. They're telling me like how they discovered sexuality. And I get that that, that's a big deal for you personally, but it's actually not my big deal. And an hour of my time is a lot. Like I'm pretty busy with not just work, but like with a lot of family responsibilities, you know, like I've got lots of stuff going on here. (laughs) And then now I'm totally having a therapy session. Thank you, (laughs) ghostwriter. But yeah, how like, Okay. So then let me, let me keep talking. Let's make this about me. Um, (laughs) My therapist has said like, you need to visualize the thing that you're saying yes to and decide if you kind of what you said, Justine, like not, not so much pleasure, but like, is it good for you when you visualize yourself doing that thing, whether it's getting on a call or going and speaking to a mom group that you didn't want to speak to for one reason or another, I do like speaking to mom groups. It's just sometimes I'm thinking of one that I was pressured into visualize yourself there. And does it feel good? And so I'm like, okay, this is a super useful tool. It really helps me decide what I want to do and what I don't want to do. Because as if we go back to that time, I was asked out when I was 18 and I didn't even really want to go out with them, but I felt like I shouldn't say no. I don't always know what I want. Like I really struggle. So that visualization exercise is really helpful. And my therapist has given me that. Here's where I'm a little bit stuck. I know what I want, but how do I say what I want? Like, how do I get myself over the hump of not wanting to upset someone? I'll be honest. Like, I'm like, well, I don't want to have a reputation for not being supportive. I don't want to get a reputation for being difficult. I don't want to have a reputation for big timing people or anything like that. Like, that's a big fear of mine. Yeah. So how do I like get over that to set the boundary? So let's say I can visualize what I want and I know what I want. I can even find the words to say it. How do I get myself to actually use those words? To do it. Yeah. I really appreciate that question. I get that a lot and I struggled with it myself. And the most succinct answer I have to that million dollar question comes from Brene Brown, who has said the most boundaried people are actually the most compassionate people. And I was like, wait, how? That's someone just saying no to everything. And I started thinking about, you know, all the work that I've done in this area and how, you know, self-care is really preparation for community care. If you put your oxygen mask on first, that is when you will truly be able to take care of the child next to you on the airplane to then put their oxygen mask on, right? But if you just go right away to sacrificing yourself for other people, you're not going to have any bandwidth for more people or to give people quality care when you're with them. So it's just that you're being intentional with, is this going to be optimized? Or is this going to be a compromised version of me, but many people get me? So it's like quality over quantity and things like that. And when I thought of it in that perspective, like, yeah, I actually am more compassionate and empathetic when I have clear boundaries, because then when the people actually have my time, they one know that I really want to be there because they know how picky I am and selective with my time. Not only do they then feel so special because they know I'm enthusiastically, freely, engagingly there and present and consensually there, but they get all of me. And they get the full me, they get the best version of me, and they feel truly cared for and seen. As opposed to, all right, I have all these calls with all these like white moms who want me to like help other women, blah, blah, blah. They're not even going to get the best Jess in all those calls. So that's, I, I really believe that that one statement from Brene, that makes a lot of sense. And one of my good friends, Janalyn Umipig, has a wonderful 
quote that I use all the time too, that is my boundaries are not meant to offend you. They're meant to honor me. And some people would read that as like, oh, that sounds selfish. And others would read that as, well, why would I want to get in a way of somebody being able to honor and celebrate themselves? Okay, cool. They don't want to have brunch. That's okay. <laughs> right. But when you see it in that perspective, you're like, of course you want people to love themselves. But like, are we allowing them and cultivating a space for them to actually love themselves, even if it means they're not going to be with you? Right. Right. And so that's why I don't want people to be so scared by rejection. So like when you're getting a rejection or a goodbye from, you know, a couple dates or whatever, it's like, okay, some people would be really fragile and be like, oh, well, you know, F them anyway or whatever. And then others would be like, you know what? Good for them for being clear about what they want. And I am not that person. And they should be with somebody that gives them what they want and what they need. I just happen to not be that person. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. I'm just not the person for them. Yeah. And that That's open, it. clear rejection for me always feels better. Like if I don't mm -hmm. get a gig or I don't get something, I like when they tell me as opposed yeah. to just not telling me anything and you're not kind reply. of wondering, yeah, like, are they going to mm -hmm. reply two weeks later than they said? Like you you always say that in, in work, like you'd rather someone tell you that they don't want to work with you. And then you're really good. I noticed about asking why and learning from that. Yeah. I mean, through work, I have learned to manage. I'm not great at it, but I'm better than I was before managing rejection. And, and honestly, I appreciate the most when somebody just says, you know what, really enjoyed our conversation, but I'm not going to work with you. You know what? I really respect that. When somebody communicates that difficult, that difficult sentence or, or line to me, I'm like, you know what? I appreciate your time. We weren't a good fit. We can still be friendly or civil. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, As opposed absolutely. to just like not hearing from somebody and then you know, you manifest all the things that could be wrong in your brain right. when, you know, it may, may not be the case. You know, I am, um, yeah. I just want to say that I'm not for all the like sex educators and sex therapists out there listening. I don't want to say, don't reach out to me and ask for help because anyone who knows me, like, especially like people whom I work with folks at sex down South, you know, that I, I do want to support your work. And I I'll tell you, like, I find that a lot of the like young sex educators, especially sex educators who are people of color and queer are always super respectful. Like they're, it's like, and I say to them, I'm like, it's like, you're afraid to ask for help because I know how that feels. And I tell them like, ask me, ask me for anything you want because they don't pressure me, right? Like they yeah. know when I can yeah. say no. I always notice too, when I get on the on phone calls with that cohort <laughs> versus the cohort that pressures yeah. me, as soon as they get on, they're like, I want to thank you for your time. Like they just show such a respect. So I don't right. want this to be, and I do feel really vulnerable kind of sharing something personal like this. I don't want this to dissuade people from reaching out. Like if you are new to the field and um, especially folks who maybe don't have the same access, I do want you to reach out to me because that's what I'm trying to do in this what do you call it? Like the second half of my career is support people uh, to move into the field who have been historically excluded from this right. field and most fields. Please don't let that hold you back. Uh, Justine, that was so helpful to me to think about, you know, not only am I my whole self and my better self when I really think about what I guess obligations or not obligations, what requests, what engagements honor me. But I also, one thing that it made me think about is it means I have more energy for like the people that I am spending more time dedicated to, right? Whether that's like my parents or Brandon or some close, close friends who are like part of my chosen family, I don't have energy for them. Like I always find yeah. I never have energy left for the people that I feel I'm sort of taking care of. And so that's, yeah. I think maybe that what you said helps to add on to the visualization 
which is okay. First, I visualize whether it feels good. And then when I decide that, okay, this doesn't feel good, I don't want to do this. I think what I need to visualize is what will I be missing out on, Mm -hmm. right? Like what could I be spending that time and energy doing that's really a value to me and aligns with my values and aligns with sort of my life mission. I hope I didn't share too much there. I always feel self-conscious when I like <laughs> share, but I think your, your language is so helpful. And uh, really, I love, love what you're doing with the ghostwriting service, as well as with all of your education around porn literacy. So thank you so, so much for your time today. Yeah. Thank you for giving me a platform to share more about it. Really appreciate it. Folks, make sure you're following along. I'm Justine AF and then the ghostwriting account underscore good dot buys underscore, which you can get from Justine's account. And we'll make sure we share all of that in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Always appreciate that you decide to spend a little bit of your week with us wherever you're at. I hope you have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.